Well, it's a real privilege um, to be speaking this morning. Um, I don't know um, if you arrived on time this morning. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Um, I, I don't know what your approach to punctua- punctuality is like. Um, some, you know, we all have different kind of concepts of punctuality. Sometimes it's a cultural thing. Those of us who have been to um, other countries might can uh, attest to that. But then some things are important, aren't they? Some things you, you need to be on time for. You know, doctor's appointments, you miss your doctor's appointment, um, it's gone. Interviews, job interviews, anyone ever been late for a job interview? <laughs> Still got the job, but it's... turned it down. Um, have you ever been late for a wedding? I'm not talking about like sneaking in at the back when it's already started. Um, a few years back when my brother got married, yeah, you know where this story's going. My brother got married, and for some reason, mainly because his wife-to-be lived down there, he was getting married in Somerset. And so we had to, we weren't, myself and Trudy weren't married, so I had to go and pick Trudy up. We had to get all our, you know, smart clothes in the car. I had a little Rover Metro, jumped in the Rover Metro, you know, chugging down the motorway, down the M5 to get to Somerset. And, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. We left. We doubled the time we needed. We said it's going to take us at least three hours. We're going to give ourselves six because this was July. It was the end of, you know, end of the school term. It was people going on holiday. We're going to give ourselves six hours to get there because we need to get there. I was supposed to be doing a reading and um, we needed to get changed. So, okay, we'll give ourselves six hours. And, you know, four hours later, you know, we're still at Bristol or something ridiculous like that. And, you know, we're sitting on the motorway in standstill traffic. And, you know, we had to stop off. We, we got to this kind of town. We had to pull into a, a Wix building, you know, like a DIY store, run into the toilets there, get changed, jump back in the car. We got to this little church, this little post church in this village, found a parking space. We're walking, well, running up the path to the church. Just as we get to the door, they swing open and out comes my brother and his, his new wife coming out of the church. And it's like, we made it, kind of. And um, as you can imagine, you know, that has been, um, you know, my family joke about it still. They still joke about, oh, when you were late. But, and it's kind of got, it's kind of a joke, but it's not. I mean, it's kind of, it's still sore about it. Do you know what I mean? Now, my, uh, I said, it wasn't my fault. It was not our fault. We gave ourselves double the time. It was circumstances beyond our control. You know, circumstances beyond our control. And today I want to speak about God's timing. I want to speak about God's timing because unlike us, circumstances never go out of God's control, do they? God is always in control of circumstances. So therefore, his timing is perfect. So if you've got a Bible, I haven't done a presentation, PowerPoint, sorry, going to make you work. So if you've got a Bible or app or whatever you've got, turn to Romans 5 verse 1. We're going to read from verses 1 to verses 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also um, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom 
who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. God's timing is always at just the right time, isn't it? God's timing is always at just the right time. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that to us, does it? It doesn't feel like God's acting at just the right time. Sometimes God's timing feels a bit off to us. And when you believe in God, that complicates the question, doesn't it? Yeah, if you don't believe in God, it doesn't matter. But if you believe in God, if you believe God's powerful, you believe he's omniscient, he's all powerful. Um, that complicates the question because, you know, God can do it. So why didn't he? Why doesn't he? Yeah. When a um, few, few years back, um, after we had Dylan, Trudy got pregnant again, which was exciting. Um, but she suffered a miscarriage. And um, I was at a work meeting, had to leave, come straight home, you know, rush to hospital. And unfortunately, truly lost the baby. And when I went back to work, I sat down with my boss and she was, you know, very supportive. How are you? You know, um, and she said to me, well, you know, the body, the body, you know, it was just cells, cells in the body. And it just wasn't to be. And, and I said to her, actually, I wish in some ways, that's, I wish I could think of it like that because that's easier. Just cells, it wasn't to be, uh, it's just biology. But actually, when you, know, when you know God's involved, it's a whole different kettle of fish. I said, uh, actually, I've, I've got big questions now. God, why, why did you create a life and then take it away? It doesn't make sense. God, why will I ever meet that baby? Will I ever meet that person? When you believe in God, when you know he can, it really complicates life, doesn't it? But that's okay. That's where faith steps in. And actually, do you want to have a God that you can understand, that you can package up neatly? That, do you know what I mean? Do you want, the Trinity is a great example. You know, do you want a God that, that, that makes sense? Or do you want a God that is beyond your understanding, who you have to put your complete trust in? I mean, in this church, we've seen some amazing miracles, answers to prayer. We know God can. But sometimes we don't see answers to prayer. Sometimes we don't see miracles. And it raises those big questions. So I really want us to look today at what it means um, for God to act at just the right time. This verse here in Romans, Paul's saying Jesus died at just the right time in history. There was a period, God's people that had the temple, and then there was this moment, Jesus came into history, changed everything. The veil was torn in two, the curtain was torn in two, people no longer had to go to the temple. Now we can meet with God face to face, as what we're saying earlier, we can come into his presence. And now we see the, the growth of his kingdom, the church, until the end, end age. That, that there was a moment in history. So when we say, oh, it was just the right time, it makes sense in a way. That, yeah, there was a point in history where, where Jesus came. Um, in some ways it doesn't make sense. Sorry, sorry, in some ways it does make sense because, you know, there was the Roman Empire they, um, you know, they could travel around, preach the gospel. There was one language, you know, that. Yeah, OK, that makes sense. But on the other hand, it doesn't make sense, does it? Why didn't Jesus come now when there's TV and Internet? Think how much easier it would be to spread the message. You know, Jesus would be a YouTube star. 
But actually, the, the, the Greek word here, Rob spoke about this last week as well. Uh, the Greek word here for time is kairos. It's not chronos. It's not there was a chronological point in time when Jesus came. It was the right time. No, it was the right time. It was the right time in God's plan, in God's wisdom, his alpha and omega wisdom. He sees the beginning to the end. He knows it all. He knows history inside out. And in his wisdom, together with Jesus' obedience and faith, it was the right opportunity, the divine opportunity for Jesus to come. And that's Paul's argument. But to understand that, we need to take a step back into chapter four. Because in chapter four of Romans, Paul's talking about Abraham. He's talking about how Abraham was justified by faith and that how not just Jews now are children of the promise, are children of Abraham. We are all Gentiles as well, are children of Abraham, children of the promise. And if you look at Abraham, he was blessed, wasn't he? Abraham was blessed. God came, he met with God. God spoke to him. He said, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless every family, every nation on this earth. But sometimes he didn't feel blessed, did he? If you look at the story of Abraham, so, you know, I've met with God. This is great. And um, then God says, go into the unknown. Go out and move. Leave everything behind. Go out. Oh, OK. That doesn't feel such, like such a blessing, but I'm going to obey. Oh, he gets rich. And then his nephew gets kidnapped. He wins a war. He meets Melchizedek, this kind of Christ-like figure. He's, you know, oh, I'm feeling blessed. Oh, and then he loses his wife, um, either because he tells people that she's his sister or um, eventually she dies. It's family strife. And, it's, and the, the, in chapter four, Paul tells us that actually Abraham faced the facts. You know, his body was as good as dead. He faced the facts. Um, but at the same time, he never gave up believing God's promise. Whether he felt blessed or whether he felt stressed, he, ca- he held on to the promise of God. He knew God had blessed him. He knew God had called him. And in verse 20 of chapter four, we see, it says, yet he, talking about Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. God had the power to do what he promised. So whatever the facts, God had said it, and that was the overriding consideration. And it's the same for us. Whether we feel blessed, whether we feel stressed, the truth is that we are blessed, that God has spoken goodness over, over yeah. us, that we are in Christ, that we have the, the inheritance yeah. of Christ. Yeah, right. John Piper describes the Christian life like playing with a yo-yo whilst walking upstairs. Just like that. Image sin, you know, you're playing with a yo-yo and it's going up and down, up and down. But actually, you're walking up the stairs. So even though it's, sometimes it feels like you're going down, you're always going up. You're always heading upwards. What has God promised you? What has God promised you? Some of you, your head will be full of things. Oh, God spoke to me here. God, I read that verse. Some of you are thinking, oh, I don't, I don't know. But the truth is that. Whether you feel like God's promised you anything or not, as a Christian, God has promised you everything in the gospel. He's promised to remember your sins no more. If you if you declare um, with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, you will be saved. You'll be saved from from wrath. You'll be saved from eternal punishment. We heard it this morning as well in the verses that Pam shared. Um, He promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. We are people of the promise. And here's the amazing part. When we 
believe, when we believe God and we exercise faith, despite the circumstances that are around us, we're giving glory to God. That's what verse 20 tells us in, in chapter four, that Abraham gave glory to God. He's, he's giving glory to God. Paul says it. My light and momentary troubles are, are storing up an eternal weight of glory. We don't understand it, but something about what we live through, what we do, when we believe God, take him at his word, despite circumstances, when we live by faith, not by sight, it, it stores up this weight of glory. And when we get there to heaven, we're going to have something weighty and amazing to give to him based on, our, on the lives that we've lived. And, it's, and when we look at our troubles, they're going to seem like feathers. Yeah, they're going to seem that was momentary. It was nothing. Actually, what, what we're seeing here uh, is bigger than Abraham. It's bigger than you and me. This is how God operates, isn't it? This is how God operates. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. That cosmic story that God created people, man and woman, gave them a great place to live, a garden to look after. But they disobeyed God. They lost it. They, they traded it in, if you like, for some independence. They said, we don't want to listen to God. We don't want to believe him. We want to do what we want to do. And they traded it in. They believed the lie. And they lost it all. And they didn't just lose it for themselves. They lost it for all of us, all humankind. And then Jesus comes into the story and lives the perfect life, healing people, miracles. And, and it's looking good. So the story's up. You know, the yo-yo's going up again. Oh, but then. His friends desert him. The authorities get their hands on him and they crucify him. The yo-yo goes down again. And it must have seemed so bleak. And then, obviously, the resurrection, as we were celebrating last night. You know, the stones rolled away. Jesus is raised again in power, complete victory. You know, that's, that's, that, 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 our lives, when we see the ups and downs, you know, that's almost like a, it's almost like a microcosm of, of, of the way that God works, isn't it? Actually, the gospel story, the cosmic story uh, throughout eternity. And the point of it is this. Yeah, there's no gospel plan B. Yeah, it, this is plan A. Yeah, when God created people and allowed them to sin and fall away from him, that was plan A. It's not, OK, they've messed up and now I'm going to have to get my dustpan and brush and clean it up. No, that was always plan A. That, you know, in Zechariah, it talks about God takes the enemy's weapon and destroys him with his own weapon. Yeah, the cross, the cross, the enemy's weapon. Just when the, the enemy had thought we've won, we've destroyed the son of God. We've conquered. God took that weapon and he turned it on the devil and said, through that cross, I'm going to bring many sons and daughters into my glory. And in fact, they're not just going to be now people walking with me in the garden in the cool of the evening, waiting, it's, ooh, it's nearly four o'clock, God's going to turn up in the garden. We can have a walk around the garden with God. No, these, these people are now, through the cross, going to be my sons and my daughters. They're going to be adopted into my family. They're going to inherit all the riches of Christ. They're going to have my authority. They're going to go out into the world. Instead of having one Jesus walking around in Jerusalem, healing people, I'm going to have an army of prophets, an army of people out in the world, taking my kingdom, taking my love, taking my authority out, extending my kingdom into the four corners of the world. And then the, and the devil looked and said, whoops, what have I done? Yeah. That's the cosmic story. 
that we see at just the right time, Jesus died. And I think that's why we love, if you look at the stories that, that you know, the stories that we watch, films, you know, you see that, don't you? Like there's, the, 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 there's, this, there's this sense of, oh, it's going really well, you know, like a, rom- a rom-com. They, two people get together and then something goes wrong and then there's a misunderstanding or one of them doesn't turn up when they're supposed to. Because, and then they, you think, oh, it's, it's all lost. And then they get back together at the end. Or same with, same with action theories. It all seems to be going wrong. And then, bam, at the end, it's all all right. And you know what I mean the Bible says that God has put eternity into our hearts, that it's that, that, that love of the eternal cosmic story, that expectation, that hope, that actually, even when it looks, things look at their worst, we know God's going to come through. We know he's going to come through. We know he's going to break through. We know he's going to win. We know he's going to conquer. Yeah, that, that sense is in every, every heart, even in those who don't believe. That's why we watch the films that we do and we tell the stories that we do. And um, that, I looked up that verse, actually, you know, that says, um, that says about God putting eternity into our hearts. I knew there was a Bible verse in there somewhere. And I knew it was in Ecclesiastes. And I found it. And I was amazed because this is what it says. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Lost it. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He's made everything beautiful in his time. Again, that sense of God's timing is perfect. He knows what he's doing. He's in control of this universe. It's being played out according to his plan. And he's put that sense of eternity in our hearts. So coming back to chapter five. The verses before. So the verses before, verse six, where, where Paul reminds us that at just the right time, Christ died. Did you notice the verses before that? So um, from verse three, so it says, not only so, but we also glory in our in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we, it says we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character. And character, hope. I don't know what you think about those verses. For me, I describe them as like dentist verses. Yeah, they're like the dentist verses. It's like the verses you read and you go, "Ooh, you know, I, I broke a tooth not this Christmas, last Christmas, and um, it was all right. You know, it didn't really hurt. So I was okay. At some point, should probably get that fixed. Um, and then recently, like after Christmas, a, 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 the, the filling that was in that tooth, whatever, came out. I was like, OK, I really need to get this fixed now. But it's that sense of got to go to the dentist. I, you know, it's going to be good for me. I need to get it fixed. Oh, but I don't really want to do this. Yeah, it's going to cost. And Like these verses, we can read these verses and we can feel like that's all. Oh, they're a bit like they're a bit of a dentist verse. Oh, I don't really want to do this, but I suppose I better. I better suffer. So I can develop my perseverance, so I can develop my character. <laughs> I was on a train recently. I was going to a meeting to um, find out if I was being made redundant a few weeks ago. And um, I'm on the train to this meeting. And um, on my email, my, my verse of the day pops up. It's all an email with a verse of the day. This is going to be encouraging. 
I know God's going to speak to me. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's going to give me peace. He's, he's with me in this situation. And I opened the email and it said, um, you know, that verse in Philippians where it says, it has also been granted to you to suffer. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a bad meeting. It wasn't. I wasn't being made redundant, so it was fine. But it's that kind of moment of like, oh, but actually, that's the wrong way to approach these verses. Because if God's leading you into something, like suffering isn't, isn't, is, is not never pleasant. But actually, if God's leading you into that, it's for your good. It's for your good. And we should embrace it. We should want it. We should want what God wants for us, because what he wants for us is the best. Do you really believe that God wants what is best for you? He wants you to persevere because in doing so, you'll develop your spiritual stamina. It's not self-improvement, you know, it's not like self-help. It's having God take you through something that's going to that's gonna change you, your very essence, not just make you a better person. It's going to make you like Jesus, yeah? That's our destiny, to be like Jesus, to, to know him and to become like him. In your very essence, your very nature, your reactions, God's at work in you, at work on your character. Philippians 3.10 says, Paul says, um, I want to know Christ. Yes, anyone want to know Christ? Yes, I, I do. I want to know the power of, your res- of his resurrection. Yes, please. And the participation in his sufferings. <laughs> Becoming like him in his death. Becoming like him in his death. Do you know what Jesus was like in his death? You remember what Jesus was like in his death? Forgiving people as they were crucifying, as they were nailing, as they were na- na- um, hammering nails into his hands. Caring for his mum, saying, look, John, this is your, this is your uh, mother. Mary, this is your son. Look, af- look after each other. You know, he was saving people, denying himself, even when people were swearing at him, shouting at him. Turning to the, the thief next to him, saying, you'll be with me. Even to the last minute, Jesus was saving people. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking, how can I save people? I want to save people. Yes, thief next to me on the cross. You can be with me in paradise today. That's what Jesus was like in his death. I struggled to be like Jesus on a good day. Yeah, I struggled to be nice on a good, you know, happy day, Easter holidays, sun is shining, day off from work, in the car, someone cuts me up. Not like Jesus, no. <laughs> And then your ch- one of your children pipe in the back. Dad, you care more about your ego than you care about us. <laughs> Pain- painful, painful. Like what were you saying about, the, about infants and children? It's true. So, yeah. I struggle to be like Jesus on a good day. But the Holy Spirit wants to take us through things that are going to expose those bits of our heart that need working on. Yeah? He wants to take us through those things. A y- years ago, I, I this. I went self-employed for a bit. I was contracting, had more work than I could keep up with. I was trying to turn work away. And then all of a sudden, I think it was after they announced the, um, it was going to be a general election. All the work dried up, the contracts, and um, I was stuck with no work. And um, it's okay for a bit. And then I have a few job interviews. Nothing's coming. And I got to this point. I, was, I remember I was in my lounge and I was, I was praying. I was saying, God, how can you do this to me? got family, you know, everything I've done for you, 
I, I, you know, I, I left my job in the city to work voluntary with the homeless, and I've been working with the, you know, the homeless and um, uh, ex-offenders and and all this good stuff. And I, I gave that all up for you, um, da da da. You know, when I should have been buying a house, we were working voluntary for the church, da 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 da. And I was, I was, I was getting quite. I said, How can you do this to me, God? All that I've done for you. And as I said it, suddenly I heard the voice of the older brother. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, prodigal son comes back. The father's so happy, gives him a big party. The older brother comes back from the field. Here's the music, finds out they're throwing a party for your brother who wasted all the money and has put shame on the family. And he says, I'm not, I'm not going in there. I don't want anything to do with that. And the father comes out and, the, and he says to the father, look, I've been working for you for years and you can't even give me a goat. Can't even give me a goat so I can have a, a bit of a party with my friends been working for you for years. And then as I was speaking, I heard the older brother's voice in my voice. Oh, I've been working for you for years. You can't even give me a goat. One job. All I wanted was one job. And going through that, that experience, it exposed that in my heart. I didn't know that was there. I thought I was, you know, the grateful younger brother. But no, oh, there's, there's a bit of older brother in me. There's something in me that doesn't trust God, that thinks he owes me something. And it was the most powerful experience because as soon as I heard that, I heard God, I heard the father's reply. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And that was the point. And after that, I never had another sleepless night. I didn't have any more stress. I don't know who you were, but people, I'm assuming it's people here, put money through our door. You know, we were over, over and above. God blessed us. And it was knowing actually, oh, I'm not, I'm not fighting God for a goat. Everything God has on the farm is mine. Everything is mine a deep understanding of who he is um, and what he's saying to us in that place of trial. So here's the question. Can you accept God's timing for your life? Can you accept God's timing for your life? Or are you demanding that he follows your timetable? Yeah, I oh, know you need to stick to my timetable because your timetable is useless. OK, I don't mean to be rude, but your timetable is ruthless, is useless because you don't know what God knows. You don't see what God sees. When I was in that, that those couple of months without, with no job, I sent my CV off to a few agencies, um, you know, as you do. Now, if I hadn't have run out of work, I wouldn't have done that. And it just so happens that out of that, sending the CVs off, actually the job I later got came out of that time. They, someone said, oh, I've got your CV here, you, you, you sent in. Um, I've got this job and it was the perfect job for me. And it was it was um, the amazing provision of God. But if I hadn't have gone through that time, I wouldn't have sent my CV off. They would never have known I existed. Does that make sense? My timetable was useless. If I'd, you know, if I'd got a job, it wouldn't have been what God wanted for me at that time. My car got written off recently and I've been catching the bus a lot. And I've I've been realizing just how useless timetables can be. (laughs) You know that. The bus timetable is meaningless. Yeah, it is meaningless. And, if, and at first, I'm like, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I sit, the bus comes really late. Yeah, it's like 20 minutes late. I get on the bus. I'm cold. Go on the website, make a complaint form. Hi, your bus has arrived 20 minutes late. And da, 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 da. do you know what they said? Nothing. Got nothing back. This, 
They probably get hundreds of those every day, and it's just, they don't bother because the bus timetable is useless. Your timetable, my timetable is useless. The only timetable that matters is God's perfect Kairos timetable, which is perfect for you. It's I'm not saying that we, we, we should be passive. That's right. You know, the disciples were told to wait for the Holy Spirit, weren't they, when Jesus ascended? They didn't go to the upper room and play Uno. Like a wet day on, you know, camping. Do you know what I mean? No, they went, they, went to the, they went to the upper room and they prayed. You know, they waited, they prayed. So it's not a passive thing, but actually we need to trust God's perfect Kairos timetable for our lives. God is at work and at just the right time, he's going to work in us and through us, exposing us to the right conditions so the Holy Spirit can get to what he wants to get, like an archaeologist, you know, just brushing off the getting down to the right layer, brushing off the dirt, getting to, the, to what he wants to get to, what he wants to work on in his perfect time. He knows when we're ready. He knows when we're strong enough to deal with some of these things. We have to trust his timing. I just want to finish. There's a, there's a number of accounts in the Bible where Jesus, where, you can, where, where Jesus' timing might be questionable. You think, wow. But for most of them, we don't see the... We don't see the years of like struggle or we just see the moment of joy, the moment of breakthrough, the healing, the miracle. Yeah, we don't. So, for example, like the guy at the pool at Bethesda, you know, who he's been there 38 years. You think, what was his question? Well, why did you wait so long, Jesus? Or the woman who, you know, with the issue of blood, who spent all her money, 12 years she had that problem. She spent all her money, bankrupted. Well, Jesus, why didn't you come sooner before I was bankrupted? The woman at the, at the well. Jesus says, oh, you've, you're right, you haven't got a husband. You've, got, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now isn't your husband. So, well, and Jesus, why didn't you come before I, made, you know, before I made all those bad choices? But we don't see those questions. We just see the breakthrough. We just see the miracle. But then there's this one story, the story of Lazarus in, in John 11. You can turn now. Where actually we see the whole picture. Lazarus is sick. And like he must be like properly sick because his family sent for Jesus, his two sisters, Mary and Martha. The family are really good friends with Jesus. You know, if you're Mary and Martha, you must think, great, we know someone. We know someone who can help. They send to Jesus. It says the sister sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Oh, that's good, isn't it? It's not going to end in death. It's a good promise. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her, uh, 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 and her sister and Lazarus. So he loves his family so much. Je- Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, and this is the interesting verse. So he dropped everything, ran there, healed him. No. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Shocking. He loved them so and he stayed there for two more days. It's not what it's counterintuitive, isn't it? It's not what we expect. And then he said to his disciples, uh, let's go back to Judea. And then he has this conversation with his disciples. So they don't really get it. And um, he says he's fallen asleep. Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to go and wake him up. And they say, oh, great. If he's asleep, he's going to get better. He's, he must be doing well. And, Jesus, and he says, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and for your sake, I am glad. I'm for your sake, I am glad. I'm glad he, he died. You know, we're not just talking about 
death, we're talking about, you know, this is someone who's, he would have suffered in his sickness. You know, there's no painkillers. There's no, there's no medical help. He's gone through this horrible sickness, even to the point of dying. His family, his friends, his, his, his neighbours are upset. And Jesus says, and for your sake, I'm glad. It's shocking, really. Shocking. Why? So that you may believe. Jesus puts that. That's more precious to him. So let's go to him. Jesus arrives, finds Lazarus has been dead already for four days and he's been buried. It's verse 20. When Martha, so he's turned up at the village, he hasn't gone to their house. He's found out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. When Martha, verse 20, heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. He's finally turned up. I'm going to go and, I'm going to go and see him. But Mary stayed at home. Mary stayed at home. Two responses to God's timetable. First of all, Mary stayed at home. She doesn't want to see Jesus. Yeah, she, I, don't want, I, I can't deal with Jesus right now. I can't deal with him. And you can be in church today. You can have come to church today, but actually you haven't come to meet Jesus. You can be here today, but you might have been avoiding him. You're avoiding him. You don't want to see him because it didn't work out for you. It didn't work out how you expected. And you say, I can't deal with Jesus at the moment. I don't want to see him. But actually, what the verse says later, verse 28, Martha goes back and tells Mary, the teacher is here and he is asking for you. I just really feel if that's been you, if you've been like, I can't deal with Jesus at the moment. I don't want to, I'm avoiding him. I don't want to speak to him. He's let me down. You need to know that the teacher is asking for you today. Yeah, he's asking for you. He's calling you back today. And then we have Martha's response. Martha comes out to see Jesus. It starts off quite positive. You know, Martha's the one that was cooking. You know, Mary was at Jesus' feet. Martha's the one that was cooking Jesus' dinner. She does the right thing. She comes out. She says the right thing. Um, She says to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would have lived. But I know that, that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And that sounds good, doesn't it? So, so she still believes. She's still got some faith. Jesus says to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. What does she say? I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So, yeah, she still believes, but she doesn't believe for now. She's not saying she says the right thing. I know you. I know God will give you whatever you ask. But actually, she's got no expectations for God to intervene or to move now. She's given up hope for the now. It's all one day. You know, when when we die, the resurrection of the dead, it'll be fine. But now I'm not going to I'm not going to ask God for anything now, because do you know what? Last time I did, it didn't work out. She's lost all hope for the now. And that might be you as well. You might have stopped asking for things. You might have stopped praying. You might have felt like, actually, I don't have faith for the now. I'm just living for the, you know, I'm just living for one day. When Jesus comes again or. When I die, it's all up there, out there somewhere, and it's not for the now. And I really feel that, that the Holy Spirit wants to um, really wants to meet with you. And actually, as we'll see in a minute, he wants to speak life. He wants to command life again, where things have died in our hearts, where promises have died in our hearts. So Jesus goes to the tomb. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, it says he was deeply moved and uh, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So Jesus was glad that he wasn't there, but at the same time he was deeply moved. He was troubled. And actually, this, the Greek here for deeply moved, it doesn't just mean he was a bit upset. It means he felt indignant. It's a word that's used before troops go into battle, when they're ready, when they're spoiling for a fight. In our equivalent, it's like someone taking the jacket up and rolling up their sleeves, yeah, ready to, ready for a bust up. That's what Jesus is feeling. It's like whenever Jesus comes up against death, when our God comes up against death, that's how he is. That's what he's like. He's like, I'm going to have you. He's not indifferent to our stress. He's not indifferent to our pain. He's not deaf to our prayers. No. The reason, John tells, one John tells us, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. He's here to fight. You know, we sang that earlier, didn't we? Heaven comes to fight for us. It's a bit of a weird thing to sing. When heaven comes, no, heaven is coming. He might not come, turn up exactly when you think he's going to turn up, but he's on his way. His sleeves are rolled up. He's pounding his fist. He can't wait to get his hands on death. And this is Jesus just before he dies and, you know, just before his death on the cross. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming for you. It's almost like a, 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 a bit of a, a pre-scuffle. So Jesus is ready to fight. He's ready to take on death. He commands a stone. He's rolled away. And you know the story of Lazarus, I'm sure. Um, Mary says it's going to smell because he's been dead for four days. And Jesus says, if, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And I just want to encourage you, if, if, if you have buried things, if you have buried promises, if you have buried your relationship with Jesus, because things didn't work out how you thought, when you thought. And now you feel like God is saying, actually, it's time to open up that tomb. It's, it's time to speak life into that tomb. It's time to call things out again. And you say, it's a mess. I don't really want to go back there. It's such a mess. It's a bit stinky. Jesus will say to you, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. There is life. Wherever Jesus goes, there is life. Isn't that it? The devil comes to kill and, and steal and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and life to its full. Jesus cries out in a loud voice. Verse 43, Lazarus come out. The dead man comes out. There's no spoiler there. You know the end of the story. Jesus. No, 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 it's fine. And the dead man comes out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus says, take, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus is calling things back to life today. Do you think, do you think Lazarus was upset with Jesus? Do you think Lazarus was upset with Jesus when he, when he comes out and they, you know, <laughs> unwrap his face? Jesus, why could you do this to me? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I was really sick. No. He's going to look around. He's going to see the impact that it's had on his family, his sisters, who've encountered the glory of God. Um, he's going to he's like, I was dead and now I'm alive. That's amazing. He's going to look at the Jews that we've been said. Many Jews put their faith in him. His town, you know, was um, radically impacted by this. What had happened to him? He's not, you know, when they're later on, years to, in years to come, you know, when they're sitting around saying, do you remember when Jesus raised, raised me from the dead? Yes. They're not going, yeah, I was really sick. My chest really hurt. Then they're saying, wasn't it amazing? Wasn't it amazing that 
I was dead and then I was alive and and so and so they they came to faith and so and so they became a believer in Jesus. They, they're only going to remember the good things, aren't they? They're only going to be remembering the good things, and that's what it's going to be like for us when we get to heaven, isn't it? When we're when we're with Jesus in glory and we're looking back, the Bible says that um, in, when we're with Jesus, it says He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In that place where there's no more pain, where there's no more death, there's no more mourning, no more sadness. And we're talking about, do you remember? Do you remember when we were in Solihull? Do you remember those days? And we're not going to be like, oh yeah, those hard times. We're we're just going to remember the good things. We're going to remember the beautiful things, and we're going to be glory. Look what God's done. Look at this multitude here, from every tongue, tribe, and nation that we've been added to, that we're worshipping with. Isn't it amazing? So you might be facing tough times now and you might, you might be saying, I'm not sure what Jesus is doing. Uh, you know, you might just want some prayer. You might want a prophecy. You might say, I need to hear the promises of God again. I need someone just to remind me of the promises of God again. You just need a fresh encounter. You know, it says when we wait on the Lord, he renews our strength, doesn't he? Maybe you have buried promises that need to be brought back to life. Maybe you haven't buried them quite. Maybe you've just put them in the attic. Yeah, you haven't said, right, I've had enough completely. You know, I've walked away from it all. I've buried it. Maybe you just put them in the attic. So, well, for now, I just focus on work or I just focus on my family and I'll come back to those maybe a few years time. No, it's time to get those things down. God wants to speak life into those things. Maybe you feel Jesus has let you down in the past. Maybe you've reacted like Mary. You've withdrawn. You've been avoiding Jesus. Can you hear him asking for you? He's asking for you by name. Maybe maybe you're like Martha and you say, well, it's not for now. No, God wants to come and revitalize, bring life into those areas, into those promises. Maybe you need to repent. For demanding that God follows your timetable. And essentially accusing him of not knowing what's best for you. Not trusting him. Or maybe you don't know Jesus. Don't know everyone here. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't know the real meaning meaning of hope. Yeah, For you hope means next year or in the summer I'm going on holiday. Maybe for you hope means well I'm hoping to buy a new house. Or I'm hoping to have the um, kitchen refurnished. No. Redecorated. Or whatever it is. Maybe that for you, that's the extent of your hope. And it's out of your control. Hope for us as Christians is so much more than that, isn't it? We have a hope of eternal glory. We have Jesus now. We have the Holy Spirit in us now. With us through every every um, situation, circumstance. We have peace with God. Reconciliation with our Father in heaven. Adopted as children. As we, as we were reminded last week, we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead in us. At work through us. We have a hope for all eternity. To, to be somewhere with God. Not just to be there, but to be with him. And that he will wipe every tear from our eye. Where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. So if you don't know Jesus, we'd love to offer you some. Real hope, eternal hope as well. Amen.